The following is an excerpt from Joseph Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla, in which Laura, our heroine, finds herself in a dream world, one where pleasurable but terrifying sensations plague her both while sleeping and awake. Every morning I felt the same lassitude and a languor weighed upon me all day. I felt myself a changed girl, a strange melancholy was stealing over me. Dim thoughts of death began to open, and an idea that I was slowly sinking took gentle and somehow not unwelcome possession of me. If it was sad, the tone of my mind, which this induced, was also sweet. My soul acquiesced in it. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own, unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue our special four-part Halloween series, which takes us from the world of Victorian ghosts to the world of Victorian vampires. For the entire month of October, we are retelling Joseph Sheridan Lefanu's classic novella, Carmilla. Today's episode is the third entry in the series, so if you haven't listened to parts one and two yet, make sure you go back and start from the beginning. Last week, we followed our sheltered teenage heroine, Laura, as she got to know her mysterious houseguest, Carmilla. As their bond deepened, Laura found herself strangely attracted to Carmilla's increasingly odd behavior. But Carmilla's enchanting presence isn't the only new, intriguing thing in Laura's life. Soon, a series of strange deaths around town rouses her curiosity. Young peasant girls are seeing visions of a spectre and then dying. And Laura can't help but want to know more. When we left her last week, however, curiosity was not in the picture. Because then, she was trapped in a dream of pure terror. Coming up, Laura faces a shadowy monster. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Laura lay frozen in her bed, unable to move a muscle. This was a dream, she tried to tell herself. But the mangy, enormous, cat-like creature at the foot of her bed looked remarkably real as it prowled across the floor. As it stopped, the beast turned its eyes to her, reared back on its haunches, and leapt. It landed square on her chest, eyes orb-like and glowing in the dark. And then, Laura felt pain. Something sharp sank into her chest like two needles. Finally, Laura felt her throat open. She let out a scream and sat up like a bolt. The cat was gone. Instead, a woman stood at the foot of her bed in a flowing gown. Long, loose hair draped around her shoulders. Laura gasped in shock, unsure whether she was awake or asleep. Was this Carmilla playing some kind of wicked trick on her? But then, the woman seemed to disappear, appear by the door, then disappear again. Laura felt her muscles stiffen with fear, but she could still move. She leapt up, ran to the door, and tested the handle. It was locked, just as she'd left it before bed. She gasped in relief, leaning against the sturdy wood of her desk. It couldn't be Carmilla. This was still a dream. Just a dream. Laura raced back to bed and threw herself under the covers. She squeezed her eyes shut and prayed, prayed to God above that in the morning she could forget it all. Morning dawned bright and beautiful. Laura hadn't forgotten her dream, but it did feel far away. As she dressed in the clear sunlight, descended the castle's familiar stone steps, and sat down at the breakfast table with her father and Madame Peridone, her nightmare, she concluded, was just that, a nightmare. Laura took her first sip of chocolate and sank her teeth into a slice of toast. Leave your dream in the night, she thought to herself, and don't worry father with your terrors. After all, she knew he'd take it as a sign that her so-called melancholy was back again. He'd say she needed to take a rest. Or worse, perhaps he'd think she had the same fever that was killing the peasant girls in the village. A shiver ran down Laura's back. No, that couldn't be the case. Could it? The woman at the foot of her bed did seem like a ghost. But Laura heard that the fever claimed its victims swiftly after they had their visions. They were ill immediately and dead within a few days. But Laura didn't feel sick at all. Only perhaps a little slower and heavier, like her body wanted to send her back to sleep. She took another bite of toast. This time, she noticed that it tasted drier than usual. She swallowed the bread hastily and started to cough. A sense of foreboding settled over Laura. 
Perhaps, she thought, she should be there when her father talked to the doctor today. She needn't say anything about her dream, but she could listen to the doctor's thoughts on the sickness and put her mind at ease. Laura tried her best to sound chipper. Father, what does your day hold? That doctor, is he still coming to visit? Her father looked at her sharply for a moment. Remember what I said, Laura. Don't get too curious worrying about this sickness. We're safe here. No one at the castle has fallen ill. Thank the Lord above, Madame Peridot murmured. She sipped her coffee, patting Laura on the hand. But Laura's face drooped, a crease forming on her brow. Her father's stern look melted. Oh, darling, don't look so disappointed. Perhaps it wouldn't hurt for you to hear what the doctor has to say, as long as you don't go barraging the poor man with questions. Laura felt a weight lifted from her chest. She beamed. I won't. I'll be as good as I possibly can be, I promise. With that, she got up, kissed her father on the cheek, and ascended the steps back to her chamber. A little nap before the doctor arrived sounded unusually appealing to her today. It was late morning when Dr. Hesalius arrived. Carmilla was still asleep, but Laura was up from her nap and sitting in the library with her father and Madame Peridone. The doctor gave a great, heavy sigh as he settled into a leather armchair across from her. The older man looked at Laura curiously for a moment, clearly surprised to see a girl her age invited to such a sensitive conversation. But then he smiled a gentle, sad smile. What a pleasure it is to see a healthy young lady. So many fevered girls in the village. It's, it's terrible, terrible to watch. And I can do nothing for them. Another funeral tomorrow, I'm afraid. Little Isabel. Laura's eyes widened. Another girl dead and there was still nothing the doctor could do? Laura's father gave a sympathetic nod. It can't be easy for a doctor to watch his patients suffer. I do appreciate your taking the time to come talk with us about it all. What I've heard from the village is worrisome indeed. Is there anything more you can tell us? Any way I can use my resources to help? Dr. Hesalius shook his head gravely. I'm afraid there's not much any of us can do. What I know is it's a wasting disease of some kind, and it strikes quickly. It doesn't seem to be very contagious, and instead picks its victims at random. But they're always young ladies. As a doctor, I'm afraid that's all I can tell you. But of course... There are legends. Laura leaned forward, her pulse quickening as Dr. Hesalius continued. I don't listen to whispers generally, but the villagers say they've seen sickness like this before in the days of the Karnsteins. Your wife's family, if I'm correct. Here, he looked at Laura's father, who nodded slowly. Yes, what they say is... The family was haunted by the living dead. Oopiers, they called them. Slowly, they took members of the Karnstein family and their village by this wasting fever, 
until the town rallied together, hunted them down, decapitated them, staked them through the heart, and burned them. Laura felt panic rising in her chest. Madame Peridone looked faint, but Laura's father raised an eyebrow. I had heard a few whispers about this from Mary, the blacksmith's wife, when I visited her husband about some horseshoes. Laura's eyes widened. She knew Mary also. Perhaps, she thought to herself, Mary could tell her more about these oopiers. Laura's father turned to the doctor. But you don't think it's all true, do you? Dr. Hesalius shrugged. Who can say? Legends of the townspeople are many, and they're riddled with superstition. But often, they contain a grain of truth. Whether the disease the Karnsteins faced was viral or oopier, I can't say. But sometimes, in quiet parts of the world like this, strange maladies propagate. He looked intently at Laura's father, who stared back, frowning in disbelief. Madame Peridone, meanwhile, opened her mouth nervously, then shut it. The doctor looked at her kindly. Do you have a question, madam? Madame Peridone nodded eagerly. The chambermaid told me the path behind the castle is haunted by a female ghost. She's seen her walk there every night while this disease has plagued the peasants. Could it be related? Dr. Hesalius smiled. I doubt that, madam. As I said, the peasants tell many strange tales, and only some of them are true. Never fear, you should all be safe here at the castle. Madame Peridot nodded sincerely, relief evident in her face. Laura, however, was not feeling reassured. The connection between the sickness and the Karnsteins, her mother's family, made her feel strange. That same sense of foreboding from earlier in the day had returned. Laura turned to the old man. Doctor, do the peasants say anything else about this disease? Is it part of why the Karnsteins died out? Dr. Hesalius shook his head. I'm afraid I don't know. They're often reluctant to talk to me about their stories. I'm a physician, an educated man after all. They're afraid I won't believe them. Just then, a knock interrupted the discussion. Without waiting for a response, the library door opened to reveal Carmilla. She stepped into the room, flashing her brilliant smile. Why, you must be the doctor. What news have I missed? The doctor looked up, shocked at the sudden arrival of this beautiful young woman. My apologies, I didn't know there was company at the castle. The doctor stood, bowing politely. Mademoiselle, a pleasure to make your acquaintance. I'm the doctor in these parts, Dr. Hesalius. Carmilla smiled brightly once more. The pleasure is all mine. Here, Dr. Hesalius looked at Laura's father curiously, as if to ask, who is this girl? Father just gave an embarrassed smile. After all, he couldn't make a proper introduction. He didn't know Carmilla's surname. Instead, he stood and shook the doctor's hand. We're grateful for your visits, as always, Doctor. 
but we don't want to keep you from your work. Please, let me take you to the kitchen. I refuse to send you on your way without a proper meal. Dr. Hesalius nodded politely and followed Laura's father out the library door, with one last curious glance back at Carmilla. Madame Peridome patted Laura on the arm and followed the men out, murmuring, After that excitement, I think I'll retire for the afternoon. You two beauties look after each other. She gave Carmilla one last admiring smile as she passed out the door, and then the girls were alone. Laura frowned at Carmilla, that sense of worry and foreboding still running through her mind. She felt small and afraid. And here was Carmilla, prancing in so confidently as always. Laura felt frustration rising in her chest. It's rude to barge into a room like that. You frazzled the poor old doctor. Carmilla looked at Laura in astonishment for a moment, then she burst out laughing. <laughs> Laura, why should I care? I can't creep around like a shy little mouse to protect the nerves of old men. Laura looked at Carmilla in shock for a moment, but then she laughed too, affection swelling in her chest. Carmilla was so bold, so fearless, it made Laura want to tell Carmilla everything about her dream last night and the strange, nervous weakness she felt today and all the doctor had just shared about the Karnstein and Oupiers and the peasant stories. But then Laura held back her words, remembering Carmilla's disdain for the peasants and her fear of ghosts. Perhaps this wasn't something to share with her friend, even her best friend, her only friend. Perhaps she needed to gather her own strength, her own boldness, and investigate this on her own. Carmilla looked at Laura curiously, as if wondering what her friend was thinking. But when Laura didn't speak, Carmilla simply linked Laura's arm in hers. Come, let's have a cheerful afternoon. Laura walked with Carmilla to the Rose Garden, feeling energized by her burgeoning plan to investigate. Her father had mentioned that Mary, the blacksmith's wife, had spoken about the Oupiers, and the doctor had said there would be another funeral tomorrow. Mary would be in the procession. Laura just had to find her there and ask her what she knew about this disease, and the connection to the Karnsteins, and perhaps about whether Laura had it. Laura was so absorbed thinking about her plan, she barely noticed as Carmilla pulled her into those strange, loving fits of passion twice in one afternoon, more frequent than she ever had before. Carmilla held her tightly, her cold breath on Laura's ear as she whispered to her about love and death. In fact, Laura found that she felt almost content in Carmilla's arms, under Carmilla's lips. That instinct to run she'd always felt before was absent. Strange, she thought, as Carmilla released her. Perhaps she was just getting used to Carmilla's ways. Or perhaps it was because she knew she had to save every ounce of strength she could for tomorrow. Save her strength and get through another night of sleep and dreams. Coming up, 
Laura finds her investigation is up against a ticking clock. Her own body. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight, all are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Laura went to bed hoping for a peaceful night of sleep. She needed her rest and her strength to investigate the strange disease plaguing the nearby village. Unfortunately, she was in for another strange night of dreams. But this wasn't like the night before with the monstrous cat. This time, her dreams were much vaguer. There were no images, just sensations. The prevailing feeling was that pleasant but peculiar cold thrill which one feels when bathing in the current of a cool river. There was nothing terrible or terrifying about it. It was just that cold pull, an endless cold pull. And yet, when she woke, Laura felt almost as unsettled as she had the morning before. It was as if she'd been through some great ordeal, as if both her body and her mind were exhausted from effort. Laura squinted as she looked at the early morning light filtering down through the window. It seemed so bright, almost harsh. And when she glanced at her hands, she noticed they had a strange, sunken look to them. The veins stood out, and the skin seemed thin, like the hands of an old woman. Perhaps oddest of all, she didn't feel alarmed by any of this. She simply wanted to lay back down in bed and think of nothing. Just lay in the arms of this tiredness. It felt strangely comfortable, almost welcoming. But no, she couldn't. She had a mission today, and she was not deathly ill. She didn't feel feverish, nor did she have chills. As she forced herself to swing her legs out of bed, she found she could straighten up and stand perfectly well. Good. Or good enough, she thought. It was time to dress and get to the woods. 
Laura marched her heavy limbs through the forest all the way to the broad road that traveled through the trees. Then, exhausted from the effort, she sat down and waited. But she didn't have to wait long. Laura heard the mournful voices of the peasants singing their funeral dirge. Moments later, she saw them walking through the trees, a few of them carrying a coffin high on their shoulders. They nodded at Laura somberly as they passed. Laura nodded back, watching, until she saw Mary, the blacksmith's wife. Laura slipped into the procession beside her and joined the singing. Mary smiled at her and whispered softly, Bless you for coming, child. By the time the procession arrived at the church, Laura's exhaustion was worse than ever. Her lungs felt strained from the hymns and her legs ached, but she was still determined. She took Mary's hand and held her back as the rest continued inside the building. Mary, I'm afraid I haven't just come to pay my respects. I've come to ask you, well, to ask you about this sickness and about the legends. It has something to do with the Karnsteins, doesn't it? And the Oupiers? I was hoping you could tell me what you know. Tell me how one might recognize it and stop it. Mary looked at Laura curiously, then a worried expression entered her eyes. She pulled Laura's hand up to her face and saw the papery skin, protruding veins. She moaned. Oh no, Laura, not you too. Laura felt her heart sinking. She swallowed hard. I... I did have a dream, Mary. I need to know what's happening to me. Tears formed in Mary's eyes. She glanced back at the church where the service was beginning. Then she nodded and pulled Laura toward the cemetery. Oh, child, of course I'll tell you all I know. God willing, there's still time for you. The pair settled onto a stone bench, and Mary, looking intently at Laura, squared her shoulders. Then she began. It's true what they say, how history repeats itself. It all began as you heard, with your mother's family, years ago. At the time, Oupiers, or the undead, terrorized the region. So many were taken by their strange fever, including many of the Karnsteins. The Karnsteins defeated the Oupiers with the help of the village. But that wasn't the end of it. After a time, people started to die again. That's when they realized there was still one left somewhere. But no one knew where. Not until a foreign nobleman arrived. He was a peculiar man, dressed in a cloak of crimson velvet. He said he had studied the Oupiers and wished to help. For weeks on end, he surveyed the area, prowling every grave site under cover of night. Until, finally, he saw it, climbing out of its crypt. The creature removed the clothes it was buried in, the garments of a gentleman, and went off to stalk its prey. The foreigner grabbed its clothes, then waited, and waited, until the final hour of darkness, when the Oupir returned. The creature was confused and disoriented to find its garments missing, so the foreigner used the opportunity to pounce 
and with his sword, he decapitated it in one fell swoop. But the foreigner knew removing its head was not enough, so he staked it through its dead heart and burned it too. Once the last Upir was destroyed, peace finally returned. That is, until now. Laura stared at Mary wide-eyed, but the woman wasn't finished. She looked at Laura and took a deep breath. That Upir was Count Karnstein himself. You see, the family was infected. Not all the members, certainly. Your mother's line survived, but... The Karnsteins were tainted. The family withered after that and slowly died out. It's the story of your own blood, Laura. And now, somehow, it's coming back to haunt you. And all of us. Here, Mary paused. Laura stared back at her in shock, bewildered, and yet somehow sure that Mary's words were true. Am I... Am I doomed, Mary? Tears finally started to roll down Mary's cheeks. She shrugged helplessly. There may still be hope. Your disease is moving more slowly than I've ever seen. The Opeer is savoring your noble blood, but we must find the creature before it's too late. Find him and kill him. The two women sat in silence for a moment, staring at one another, when music started streaming out of the church house. Mary sighed and stood. Come, let's say our goodbyes to Isabel. For her, it is too late. Laura followed Mary into the church and up the aisle to the coffin. There, as she stared at Isabel's body, she felt a bone-deep chill of recognition. The girl was so pale, so sunken, Laura reached out and touched her little hand, curled around a Bible. It was papery and bony, like the flesh had been sucked out. Her whole body was like that, as if the youth had been drained from her and all that was left was a withered husk. Laura almost fell to her knees. Soon, this would be her fate. Laura walked back from the church slowly, more slowly than she'd ever walked. When she arrived back at the castle, it was well past lunch, and Carmilla was pacing on the walk beside the moat. Laura, where have you been? I've been worried sick. She sounded angry. Laura blushed and bowed her head, suddenly feeling guilty. But she had no excuse for Carmilla. How could she even begin to put into words what she had learned, what she knew was happening to her? Oh, Carmilla, forgive me, and please, say you haven't told Father I was gone. I just went to see the funeral. I know he'd be displeased. I just... I just had to see. Carmilla knelt in the grass beside Laura and looked down at her, an almost hungry look suddenly overtaking her pretty face. Then she spoke in a very different tone. You poor thing, you're exhausted. How brave of you to go off like that. But you shouldn't have gone so far without telling me. I forgive you, as long as you stay with me always from now on. 
Oh, Laura, such a strong girl you are. Then she leaned down and kissed Laura on one cheek, then the other, then all over her face and neck. My little Laura, I wish I could drink you up. By supper time, Laura was revived. She felt almost normal physically after an afternoon lazing in the grass beside Carmilla. At least, aside from her withered hands, which she did her best to keep under the table when she could. But mentally, she felt sick. Sick with languor and worry. She needed to figure out how to get rid of the Upir before she wasted away completely. Perhaps it was time to tell her father about her dreams and Madame Peridone and Carmilla. Perhaps they could help her. Regardless, they'd noticed her hands soon, and God knows when the rest of her body would start to follow suit. But, as she looked across the table at her father's laughing face, she couldn't bring herself to say the words. To worry him and Madame Peridone and Carmilla and ruin their happiness. Perhaps she could risk one more night of strange dreams and think about it a bit longer, just so she knew what to say to them all, so they understood her, so they believed her. Tomorrow, tomorrow, she would tell them everything. That night, Laura hurried to bed. She laid awake for a few minutes in the flickering candlelight, thinking. But before her thinking came to anything, she drifted off to sleep, and into that same strange dream of the cold current pulling at her. She let herself drift, feeling the cool water rush past. When the dream shifted, suddenly she felt a hand too. It was a small hand, delicate, and it caressed her cheeks. Then it was as if warm lips kissed her, and longer and longer and more lovingly as they reached her throat. But there, the caress fixed itself. Her heart beat faster, her breathing rose and fell rapidly, and she felt a tension that rose into a sense of strangulation, supervened and turned into a dreadful convulsion in which her senses left her and she became unconscious. Then, out of that blissful darkness, she suddenly awoke to see the most horrible sight of her life. It was Carmilla, standing at the foot of her bed in her white nightgown, bathed from her chin to her feet in one great stain of blood. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with the final installment of our Halloween special on Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu's Carmilla. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side.
Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Alex Garland and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.